And we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 6. And uh, I know if you were, there's a few of us that were with, with me and with us uh, for the charge yesterday, and you'll see that this, this uh, passage is very familiar. And uh, this message has kind of been on my heart, and I've been kind of milling this over ever since family camp, trying to understand what God was trying to tell me specifically and us as Christians and as the church What does it mean to love our enemies, to bless those that curse us, to seek the good of those that do not seek our good? It's such a hard thing to think about. And uh, and I shared a little bit on this message in the charge yesterday, and I was going to prepare a different message for, for today. But I think as I was giving the charge yesterday, I said... This is, this is what the church needs. It was, it was amazing. Just after the charge, we had some testimonies that were just people were sharing. And I said, this is, this is speaking to other people as well. So I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this message as well with, with the church. So forgive me those that were at the bus in charge. You'll get a second dose, uh, a second helping. I'll try to expound it and, and help you guys out a little bit more. But pray that the Lord will, will give you something here um, out of Luke chapter 6. And uh, I also want to say a great thank you to everybody at Straight Gate Church. You guys are our family. You get, we've, we've been here for six, almost seven years. Such a blessing, every one of you. Uh, we've grown so much just getting to know everybody and fellowshipping and being a part of this church. So thank you for that. Thank you for your commitment to the Word of God, to being faithful to, to ministry and to serving others. And uh, we know that you'll continue on with the leadership that you have here. And we will continue on doing the same thing wherever we go. So thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit um, that we all get to share in, we all get to worship in. Luke chapter number 6 here, starting in verse 20. The first several verses that, that I read are the Beatitudes, these blessings and woes to these certain groups of people. Jesus starts out talking about these, uh, these blessings. Blessed be ye poor. Blessed be ye hungry. Blessed be you that are hated. And he says, woe unto you that are the opposite of those things, rich and full and well spoken of. And uh, on first glance, you may say, man, why do, the, why, do the, why do the poor? Just because you're poor, just because you have no money, you get the blessing and if you're rich, you, you get a woe? Like, well, that doesn't seem quite right, right? If, just because I'm hungry? Who's hungry this morning? I mean, you, you missed breakfast, and uh, you get a blessing because you're hungry. No, that doesn't. Oh, I'm full, so a woe is me that I, I had a full breakfast. No, no, that's not quite what he's saying. We see in another passage of Scripture in the same Beatitudes where Jesus elaborates further on these blessings and woes, and he says, blessed are those that are poor, in spirit, right? Blessed are those that, are, that hunger and thirst after righteousness, right? So there's some more context to this message. In these blessings and these woes, he's not talking about physical states of poverty and of hunger and thirst. He's talking about a spiritual reality. Those that are spiritually poor, those that are, those that are humble before God are the blessed. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, the things of God, are blessed. And the opposite of that is true. The woe is to those that, are, that think they're rich in spirit, those that are filled with pride, that think they have it all figured out, that are full of themselves and of possessions and worldly goods, but they have nothing of God. 
Woe to them. So as you see in this passage, you see that Jesus is calling uh, the disciples that he's preaching to and this crowd that he's preaching to, to a higher perspective of life. He's saying this world is not all about poverty and hunger and, 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 our, and, our, and our earthly carnal um, reality. There's, there's something higher than this. There's a higher perspective that we ought to have on this world. And this perspective that he's calling them to is the foundation for what follows. Because without having this spiritual reality and this spiritual understanding of the world, if we're only carnally minded and we're only thinking about what, what, what we can get to fill ourselves and what we can get to be rich and what we can get to, to, to enjoy our, uh, all of the things that our hearts desire, so if that's our only focus, then we will not be able to get to this next part where we go into loving your enemies and blessing those that despitefully use you and hate us. So we're grounding them in this reality of, of who is truly blessed and who is truly um, woed. And it's amazing, I think, that, he, that he, he speaks to not just this poverty, not just this hunger, but he also talks about in verse um, number 22 about, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. So we talked about this poverty, we talked about this uh, uh, being hungry and full, but this third one is talking about our reputation and this reputation that we have based on what we are speaking and what we are saying. And he talks about um, this relationship between the prophets of old and said, hey, those prophets of old, the true prophets that were speaking truth, they were hated. But then when he speaks of the woes in verse 26, he says, woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. This is a great danger. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. So he's speaking of those that are um, coming out and speaking truth or falsehoods. And he's saying, blessed are those that speak truth and woe to those that don't. Because in the same reality, your fathers, your forefathers, those that spoke truth were hated. And those that were false prophets were spoken well of. Oh, great. We love you, but they were false. So this higher, I think this higher perspective that we all need to come into is going to lay this foundation for what Jesus goes into in verse number 27, which really starts to cut against the grain. I think this understanding of, okay, we need to be humble, we need, we need, to, we need to seek after righteousness, we need to speak for truth, very things that we can, we can jive with, we can understand. Okay, we understand these things as Christians, we should do these things. But I think in verse 27, I think it cuts to my heart. He says, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. Love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. What does this mean? What does it mean to love your enemies? The very definition of enemy makes you just say, hey, I got to get rid of them. They're my enemy. They're on my nerves. They hate me. They're trying to seek my harm. They're against God. They're against me. They're against the church. They're against the truth. They're speaking lies. They're speaking falsehoods. They're seeking my harm. Let's get rid of them, right? 
That's our natural inclination. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Now, if you're like me, I'm sure you, you may think, you may be thinking of some people in your mind, some ideologies, some worldviews that are out there, and you're like, man, those people hate us. As Christians, they are completely opposed to us. Um, as people that stand for truth, as people that stand for the Bible, there's people that are just absolutely against us, and they hate what we're doing. They hate that we're out running buses. They hate that we're trying to teach people the Bible. They hate that we're here together singing about God. They think there's no God. And they think that what we're trying to do is bad for the world and bad for everybody, and they, they wish it would just end. True enemies of the gospel. True enemies of what we stand for as Christians. This is a reality. Um, in America, I don't think we face the persecution that, that, that many face around the world, lest we forget our dear brothers and sisters that are actually being killed even today for the gospel's sake because they believe the word of God, because they may be found with the Bible in their house, they can be killed, them and their families and their communities. Lest we forget that there is true persecution in this world and there are enemies in this world. We understand that there's enemies, but what do we do with them? What do we do with the enemies? It's great when we have friends, right? It's great to have brothers and sisters and family, and we're all on the same page, and we're on the same mind and the same spirit. But what about our enemies? What about our enemies? The person that we know that hates our guts. The person that we know that stands against the truth. The person that we know is speaking falsehoods and lies and promoting just outright wickedness before the world and open unashamed. What do we do with them? We're walking down the street and here comes an enemy. What is our first thought? Ah, man, that guy hates God. I'm gonna, I, I, don't, I, wanna walk, I wanna turn the other way. I wanna get out of here or I wanna, I wanna seek harm for them. Is that our thought? What is the first thing that comes to mind when we see our enemies? Jesus says... Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And in Romans 12, when we were going through that and speaking with our groups, it, it says that we're, we ought to treat them as family in some way. And it's like, man, do I approach my enemies as I would approach my mom, <laughs> my family? Big hug, thankful that they're there? Or do I say, no, enemies, no. Nope. Got to avoid the enemies. Got to stay away from the enemies. No, Jesus says to love your enemies and to do good to them. So we see out of this higher perspective on things, Jesus comes to us and now he gives us a, a holy practice, a holy practice. He gives us many things here in the next several verses that we are supposed to practice as Christians. And it's a holy practice because you cannot do these things without Jesus Christ. You cannot do these things without the Holy Spirit. Because every one of these things right here cuts against the grain of our hearts and our natural inclination. It cuts against the grain of what we've been taught in our country to uphold the law and justice and, and, and what's right in this country. We have rights, right? But what we're going to find in these next several verses is that there's a law above our natural inclination. 
there's a law above even what, what the Bill of Rights and what the Constitution and all everything that we stand for as Americans. There's something beyond that. As Christians, yes, we are told to uphold the law. But what we see here is that there's something above that. There's another level for Christians to uphold. It's not right to just say, oh, we're going to abide by everyone's rights. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna make sure that everything is, is, is abiding by the law of the land. And that's our standard. No. <laughs> that's not what Jesus says. There's no law of the land in Minneapolis that I know of that says that you have to love your enemies. If so, we, we, a lot of us would be in jail today. A lot of us would be in jail because a lot of us don't love our enemies, right? There's no law for this. This is a law that is above our civil law and is the law of love. To love our enemies, to do good to them that hate us, that we are called to bless them that curse us in verse 28 and pray for them which despitefully use you. Do we pray for these people? Do we pray for their repentance? Do we pray for them to see God? Do we pray for them to see something in us that would point them to God? That's what Jesus says. So we're going to look at some of these practices here and see if we can dig into them and help see if God will help to transform our minds and to renew their, our minds and to help us to understand what Jesus Christ would call us to be. In verse 29, he gives us a, right off the bat a very hard one. Unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. Anybody want to volunteer for this? <laughs> no, no one wants to get smacked across the face and then say, hey, yeah, give me another one. To your enemy. You might play that game with your friends. Hey, let's just play a little, little wrestling game with your friends. But your enemy, out of hatred and out of spite for you, wants to smack you across the face, and you got to take it and turn the other cheek. That's not, that's, 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 that's not natural. That's hard right there. You're ready, to, you're ready to fight. You're ready to fight when someone hurts you, when someone hits you, when someone attacks you. But think about Jesus. Punched, bruised, beard pulled out, nails in his hands, crown of thorns on his head, I don't read anything in scripture of Jesus striking back, fighting back, speaking anything, having an attitude. That's not in there. You see, he lived up to what he said. He says right here to turn the other cheek, and he showed us how to do it. Man, may we, may we have our mind transformed, renewed to really understand what that means. A lot of times when we see things like this that are hard, we try to say, oh, but what about this other piece of scripture over here that tells us this other thing? Well, we can deal with that in another message that Pastor Peter can deliver to you or, or one of the other elders, but we need to deal with what the scripture says right here. There are balancing passages for almost everything that we'll, we'll read in here, but we also have to deal with this passage. So what does this mean? What does this mean to turn the other cheek when we are smitten, when we are attacked? What do we do when we're attacked on Facebook, when we're attacked on social media, attacked by one of your friends or family members that says that what you're doing is harmful? God is not real. You should not be teaching your kids that. You should be more tolerant. You should be this and that. 
and attacking you and your character, lying against you. It's our natural inclination to say, I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to tear you down just like you tore me down. Or is it love? Is it turning the other cheek? That's a hard thing. Very hard thing. The second part of verse 29, And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. So someone's taking away my cloak, taking away my goods, my things. Forbid them not to take more. That that doesn't seem right. That can't be right. Someone that is stealing my things, right? That's mine. They have no right to steal from me. No, they don't. What does Jesus say? Though they have no right to steal from you, he says, forbid not to take thy cloak also. Wow. Think about Jesus. Did people take from Jesus? Did people attack Jesus and call him out a name and lie on him and, and all sorts of other things? And he says, no, go ahead. This is a new way to live. This is a practice of holiness. This is a new mind and a new heart that says, these goods, our possessions, is that really what's important in this situation? And we, we shared some testimonies yesterday in the charge about uh, different things that were stolen from us and, and how we reacted to those things. And we thought, we, we started to share and think about different ways that we could approach that situation. And we thought about these, these enemies and, and the attacks and the, and the theft and the robbery and, 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 the, and the upheaval that we initially felt. And we said, those right there are opportunities given by God for us to show the love of Christ. That's, trans, that's transforming. To say something, the injustice against me, I got to get vengeance, I got to make this right, I need justice for me, versus this is an opportunity for me to show the love of Christ to someone that has done me absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. God says it's wrong. But for me to say, I'm going to love. I'm going to continue to give despite this attack. I'm going to continue to love despite their, their hatred. That is Christ. That is Christ. That is not me. And it's probably not you. That is Christ and Christ alone. That is the gospel. To continue to give against hatred to continue to love against attack, to continue to give against theft. That is only Christ. This is something that only comes by a Holy Spirit within us to say, not what you want to do. What does God have for you in this moment? When someone that is hating you comes against you and attacks you personally, when someone steals your goods right out of your hand, obvious, guilty as charged. What can we do to show the love of Christ in those opportunities? What do people see when they see the Christians holding on to their goods and demanding righteousness and demanding justice for the, for the wrong that's against them? What does, what, what does the world see? 
according to the next several verses, is they see people that are just like them. They don't see Christ. They don't see Christ. Verse 32, for if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. We show no example of Christ. We show no testimony that we are saved, that we're different, that we're redeemed. But when we give despite theft, when we, when we love despite attack, we show something that is completely different. And it's not us. It's Christ. We show Christ, and Christ showed us in the same way. In verse 30, we'll, we'll, we'll move quickly here. Verse 30, he says, give to every ask, everything that is asked of us. Give. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that, asked, uh, that taketh away thy goods, ask them, not again. Again, he's speaking, he's, he's doubling up on our, on our relationship with possessions. Give. Someone asks you, give, right? When someone asks us for something, our initial inclination is, uh, let, me, let me take a count. Is this, can I give this? Do I have this? Do I have enough to give? That's our initial inclination, right? Give to every man that asks of thee. Okay. That's another hard one. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Man, these are hard things to do. We're so tied up in our possessions and the things that we have. But Jesus says give. Because Jesus came to this world to do what? Not to collect. Not to receive. Not to fill a house. Not to fill himself. Not to fill his car. Not to fill every, every little crevice that I have is filled with something. You can, you can relate, you know. We just fill our stuff. The more space we have, the more we try to fill it. Jesus says, we need to give. Get rid of stuff. We're so tied up with our possessions. Every man that's asking of you that you can give to, I think Jesus wants us to give. And then he says again, if someone takes away from you, just let it go. Let it go. Do we, have, uh, uh, do we have such a tight grip on, on, on the things of our life that we can't give? Jesus says to give and ask not again. And he, he goes in verse 31, he talks of the, the golden rule as it's called. To do, um, uh, verse 31, as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. And then he goes on to talk about loving them which love, uh, are we supposed to love them which love you? No, we love everybody. For sinners do the same. Verse 33, do we do good to only those that do good to you? No, that doesn't make sense either. Um, if, do we only lend, in verse 34, to them of whom ye hope to receive? Sinners do the same thing, okay? But in verse 35, he tells us what we're supposed to do. Again, but love ye your enemies. And do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. This is what we're called to do. To love our enemies, love those that hate us, that despitefully use us. To do good to them, to lend to them, hoping for nothing in return. We're not doing this so that we can get a kickback. And your reward shall be great, 
and ye shall be the children of the highest. What we're going to see in the last few verses here is this, this is, a, is a pattern. We're called to do this because Jesus Christ did this for us. We're called to do these things because these are the things that our Father in Heaven did for us. So you say, man, these are hard things. A new perspective, this new way to live, all these things that we're, we're supposed to do, these things, and God doesn't just leave us hanging. He says, lest you forget... I did all these things for you. I did all these things for you. Yet we say, oh, I don't want to do that. He's my enemy. He hates me. This is hard. But God did it for us. God did it for us. Look at verse 35, the end of it. He says, if we do these things, yes, we, we, shall, be, uh, we shall be the children of the highest. Why? Because we'll resemble the highest. We'll resemble the highest. People see you acting like God, they'll say, man, wow, you must be a child of God. Right? And then he says, he gives us the description. What does it mean to be a child of the highest? Who, what, is, what is this example that we have? For he is kind unto the unthankful, and to the evil. And I said this yesterday. Who is that? That's me. And that's you. We are the unthankful and the evil, and he is kind to us. And we should be kind to those that are unthankful. And we should be kind to those that are evil. Why? Because that's who God is. That's who Christ is. And that's what he did for us. He is kind unto the unthankful. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us all. We deserved not, not one thing from God. We were the enemies of God because of our sin, because of our unrighteousness, because of our wicked thoughts, because of our wicked deeds, because of our hatred towards others. God says, you guys are all unrighteous. There is none righteous. No, not one. Not you. Even you. You're not righteous. Jesus loved all of us. You say, why does that song say Jesus loves even me? Because even me means I'm a sinner. He loves even me because I know that I don't deserve it. He loves even me because I was an enemy of God. And it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. And he said, despite this wickedness, despite the evil of men, of men and women, despite their outright rejection of me, I'm going to give my son to die on a cross for everybody to pay this sin debt. You see, that's the gospel. It is the gospel to give. It is the gospel to sacrifice. And it is our example to follow as Christians. And we shall be the children of the highest if we do these things, if we are kind unto the thankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, in verse 36, as your Father also is merciful. 
You say our enemies, we, man, they're just coming after us. They hate us. They're trying to come after our kids. They're trying, to, they're trying to ruin our country. They're trying to ruin everything. They're trying to destroy everything. They're trying to get rid of everything that is true and replace it with lies. True. True. But he says, be therefore merciful, as your father also is merciful. See, we have such judgment and condemnation against the evil of this world that we forget the evil within our own hearts. We forget that we were once enemies of God. Verse 37, he says, Judge not, ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, ye shall not be condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. That's our calling as Christians to follow Christ. Christ did not come to condemn the world. He came to save them. He came not to condemn us. We forget too often. We come to church and we we try to live by the Bible, we try to live right, and we forget that we were the enemies of God and he forgave us. So we call that we call we, when, when things happen against us and we see the enemies of the world, we, we want justice. Instead of saying, you know what? They are like me. And Jesus needs to save them too. And if I'm here as a Christian that's called to follow the Great Commission to help save, to help point them to Jesus Christ, but I'm gonna I condemn them. And I judge them, and I judge them harshly, and I don't treat them kindly. And I'm evil and I'm and I'm evil against them. And I and I take and I'm an enemy against them. They're my enemy? Okay, perfect. Then I can be their enemy. If that is our attitude, they don't see Christ in us. And the Great Commission gets cut off at the knees. The gospel means nothing to somebody if all you have is a gospel word, yet you treat them harshly, yet you treat them like dirt, you do evil to them. You call them all sorts of names and attack them back when they attack you. But I got the gospel message for you. They're going to say, no, no thanks. No thanks. That's just words. There's no power there. That's what they're going to see. But man, when people see Christ in us, they're going to see something different. They're going to say, man, this, I, I, I hate them. They're my enemy. I hate them. I'm trying to harm them. And they're doing good to me. And Romans 12 says it, it, it heaps coals of fire on their head when we do these things. And we talked about how, how that is, is, a, is a symbol of, of God drawing them to repentance when we do good to them, when we bless them, when we pray for them. They see something different and they say, man, I hate them. I'm, I'm trying to seek their harm and they're doing good. And they're continuing to, I stole from them, and they're giving me more? I attack them. And they don't attack back, and they love me back, and they continue to give and sacrifice and love? Wow. There's something different here. There's something different here. And it's Christ. This is a pattern that we see over and over again in Jesus Christ towards everybody, and ultimately 
on the cross. He gave himself completely and wholly to his enemies. And what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is our heart saying, no, we need justice. We need justice. We need to make this right. We need to get them back. We need, we need vengeance. No, 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 no. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And may God use that to, for people to see Christ in us when we, when we have that heart. When we have that to forgive. When we have that heart to continue to give and give and give. We'll wrap it up here in verse 38. Give. <laughs> Comma. Give. Give, 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 give. We don't want to give. Give. Whenever you can, give in. Give it up. We want to hold. Right? We want to hold on to so many things. We want to take, we want to give, we want to receive, or we want to receive. No, give. And this passage is often used in terms of giving to the church and so forth and your tithes and offerings. But in this context, he's talking about giving to your enemies. <laughs> Give. Give to anybody and everybody. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all shall be measured to you again. How do we love our enemies? How do we bless our enemies? We give. We give in. We give up. We say, hey, hey, that's not how you win a battle. You don't, you don't forfeit. You don't, you don't quit. You don't give up. That's not what we're doing. We're showing love. We're showing love. We're giving love. We're doing good. We're lending. We're doing what Jesus did for us. He gave. And in giving, he won the ultimate battle. I love in Colossians when it says that in Jesus being on the cross, he was, he was openly showing the victory that he was winning. Arms wide open, body busted up, bleeding out before, before everybody. King of the Jews written above him. He gave. He gave it all. May we open up our arms, open up our hands, and say, hey, even if it's our enemy, even if it's those that hate us, even those that condemn us, lie against us, strike us, steal from us, give. And continue to give. And forgive. And we will be like Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love and your sacrifice for us when we were wicked, when we were yet in our sins. Father, you sent Christ to die for the ungodly, me. No righteousness to offer, nothing to give back. And you died for me. Father, help us to, to never forget this. Help us to not... Um, not forget the sacrifice and love and the giving that you had and help us not to be confused about 
what we ought to do in our life. But Father, help us to be like Christ. And help us to understand this relationship that we ought to have with even our enemies. Even those that hate us and attack us and scorn us and are completely against you. Help us to remember that they are just like us. Just like we once were without Christ, they need Christ. Help us to be the testimony of Christ in this world. Help us to be a light that shows the light of Jesus Christ. Help us to be different. Help us to live according to this higher law that is, that is given to us in Scripture. To truly love our enemies. And Father, I pray for those that do not know Christ today. That they would come to know you that they would understand what Jesus did for us and that they would understand that our, our, our state before, before God without Christ is, is in condemnation, that we are against God and we will, not, will be separated from God if we do not come to him in repentance. Father, thank you for the love of Christ that, that came to us, that was given to us, that opened up the door for us to receive him. Father, I pray that you would help us all to have this new mind, this new way of living as we go our separate ways. Father, help us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Help us to live differently, walk differently, talk differently, treat people differently, as Christ would. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.